0: Onto the wheel, fasten your seat and step on the gas. Webmasterradio.fm is gonna take you on the ride of your life. You've just stepped off the curb into rush Hour. Rush hour, rush hour. Your rush hour hosts, Neil and Cameron, will take you on a fast-paced adventure to the high-tech metropolis known as social media. Blog, social networks, bookmarking, and more around every corner are the tools you'll need for marketing through the social web. Now, no. the light is green, but stay right where you are, because you're, you're in Rush Hour. Rush Hour.
1: Good afternoon. Today is Wednesday, May 23rd, and this is the 14th episode of Rush Hour on WebmasterRadio.fm. My name is Carolyn Shelby, and I'm here with Cameron Olfus and Neil Patel from ACS. And if you're listening live and you'd like to join us in the chat room, please go to webmasterradio.fm and download the desktop app and come on in. We're all in there, and we'll, we'll chat with you. Um, welcome back, guys. I hear you just got back from a trip to New York.
2: Yep, just got back. Um, Cameron and I were both, at, I believe, we Pages, So uh, they flew us down there, showed us a good time, and uh, just talked shop with them.
3: We also got a chance to uh, check out Todd Malakot's uh, bachelor pad, which was pretty cool. He lives in a, a big house all by himself up in Troy, and you know it was pretty cool to, to check that out. Definitely got some cool digs.
2: Awesome. Definitely, Todd showed us how to reverse out of a driveway, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or how not to reverse out of a driveway. He's got this really narrow driveway, and he was almost scraping the wall on his uh, attempts to reverse out, and he had to try it a few times, so it was pretty funny.
2: Yeah, it was very wow. entertaining, because he leased the car, and he pretty much had to buy it. So. <laughs> Oh no! I think he bought it because he just reversed it into the wall one too many <laughs> times. But I can totally understand because it's so narrow. And then when it snows and it's all icy there, it's like it's really hard to reverse out of a very narrow, long driveway without hitting a wall. So,
1: huh? Well, that sounds like a fascinating trip. Um, when did you ju- you guys like just got back today or something?
3: Uh, last night we got. Oh, in okay. Last night, so we flew out there on Sunday, hung out all day Monday with those guys, and then flew back yesterday. So it was a quick trip.
1: Well, that sounds like fun. Well, while you were gone, um, it looks like the, uh, the FeedBurner deal has been confirmed. Have you guys been following that?
3: Um, yeah, I just actually just saw that a couple hours ago on TechCrunch. He reported that the deal has been confirmed for $100 million. Um, so yeah, congratulations to those guys. And I can definitely see how that's a fit in what Google's trying to do. You know, they already have Google Analytics, and I'm sure they're planning on serving some type of AdSense ads there in people's feeds or whatever they're planning there. But, yeah, I think it'll be a good fit. And, you know, again, congratulations to those involved. I'm not sure, you know, how well any of them made out because, from my understanding, there was four different founders, and they've gone through two rounds of VC funding. So I don't think that's going to be a huge exit for them. But either way, you know, I'm sure they they made out well and, you know, good for everybody involved.
1: Um, do you think this is going to affect at all how FeedBurner is used by people to, just in general? Um, I know Neil was saying that he uses FeedBurner to get more social votes on things. Is is the fact that Google's going to have their hands in it going to be a bad thing or a good thing, or do you see any effect at all?
2: Um, I don't really see it affecting too much. I think people are still going to be using it to get social votes. It's just going to be seeing what FeedBurner tries to do if they integrate it in with the analytics or anything like that. Hopefully they don't change anything where you you know, they limit you by not adding delicious buns or dick buns, but I don't think they would do anything like that or else a lot of people would uproar and usually burn is very understanding and they're all about trying to please their user base, so
1: Google seems to not want to fuss with things too much when they buy it. I mean for the most part it seems like they leave things alone and let you know, if it's not broke they don't try to fix it.
2: Yeah, they usually don't try to you know, fix it or anything if it's not broke, but they do try to integrate it. So they usually have a master plan. With Urchin, um, now it's Google Analytics, they bought it, they integrated it into Google, uh, changed it to Google Analytics, made it more usable recently, and it's pretty much there and, you know, they're kinda, help people with AdWords. They also bought MeasureMap. They bought MeasureMap not because they cared about blog analytics, they may, and they still may integrate it, but they didn't really do any development on MeasureMap. Instead, they got those guys to make Google Analytics more usable. FeedBurner, on the other hand, I think they either got them for the advertising, like you mentioned, and from my understanding, previously they already had a deal with Google for ads running through feeds, but more importantly, I think they're also going to start integrating into Google Analytics, which is going to change the look and feel of FeedBurner quite a bit, in my mind, if they go that route.
1: Well, I'm glad that they that they bought it. I hope that it turns out to be very lucrative for everybody involved, and I think that's kind of exciting. Um what else was I going to mention? Oh, uh, Technorati got redesigned. Um, the few things that I noticed about that this week were that the, um, the where's the fire, which when I read that I never say where's the fire in my head. I always say something else. Um, looks like it's been added to a lot more pages. And, I mean, I like the redesign. Have you guys taken a look at it? Do you have any opinions?
3: Yeah, I've taken a look at it. Um, from my opinion, it seems like Technorati doesn't really have any focus or – you know, like any clear direction that they're headed because this is the second redesign that they've had in the last year, I believe. And it seems like they keep trying to change their focus a little bit on where they're headed and things like that. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. I mean, the new design looks good and everything, but each time they design it, it gets more and more away from their core, which is a uh, blog search engine. And now it looks like they're trying to be a complete media search engine as well. They've got now they're announcing, you know, right there on the on the homepage they got that big thing, billions of photos, videos, blogs, and more. So they're, you know, obviously trying to get away from their course. I'm not sure what to think of that. Um, is their, you know, is blog search not working out well for them and they're trying to move to other areas, or what exactly is going on there? I mean, that, that's kind of my
1: opinion from it. If they dilute their brand too much, do you think that's going is diluting their brand going to hurt the the blog search itself, or do you think they're just going to overextend themselves and maybe not be developing new advances as quickly as they could be if they focused on just the blog search?
3: Um, It's hard to say. I'm not necessarily sure that they're diluting the brand. It just doesn't seem like they have any clear focus. You know, instead of trying to dominate blog search they keep you know trying to change things around or adding new things that really don't have anything to do with it like their oh, where's the fire feature I mean what does that really have to do with blog search that's more like a more like they were trying to head in like a little bit of a social news direction or add some kind of social news news features to the site and I didn't really see what it had to do with blog search and I mean Google blog search is definitely catching up to them very fast so if I was them I would, you know, continue to try and focus on that core and own that industry. Or maybe they've just realized to the point that blog search isn't lucrative, and there's going to be no exit plan for them if they go down that road. So maybe this is kind of a, a strategy so that they'll have some kind of, you know, exit at the at the end of the rainbow, that pot of gold.
1: I wonder if it wouldn't be better though, instead of lumping everything into Technorati, if they if they wanted to have things that were a better money-making model, just start them up under separate names and then use Technorati to promote them. And that way, Technorati itself stays true to the blog search. And then they can come up with something that makes them more money, you know, on the side. And they've got the, I guess, the freedom to spin it off or sell it all as a as a chunk. Um, I mean, do you, th- do you think that would be an option? Or if, if the... If we assume that the reason that they're doing it is because the money isn't quite what they want it to be, do you think they're going about it the right way?
3: Um, You know, I'm not quite sure. And, you know, the problem with them starting up different engines for each of those things is then they have to worry about branding a few different properties instead of just one. You know, so instead of putting all their efforts into making Technorati what it is, they'd be probably spreading themselves too thin across several different properties. So I but are they kind of spreading themselves
1: too thin across the Technorati, Technorati property? Well, but yeah,
3: I, I think they are personally, but I was going to say, if they're going to go in that direction, I think the best way for them to do it is to do it on the Technorati property themselves instead of trying to start four different ones. So where they are, maybe spreading themselves a little thin or you know, it doesn't seem like they have a clear direction or whatever, if they're going to go that way, that's definitely the way I would have done it as well.
1: Okay, so you know, not optimal, but it's probably the best they can do if that's what the situation really is, which, of course, we don't know if that's actually what the situation is. We're just speculating.
3: Right, yeah, I mean, I'm just speculating just based on what I've seen since Technorati's been around. It just just seems like they, you know, I mean, it's no secret that they've really had trouble monetizing themselves. They've had to raise more money a couple of times, you know, and they've been in business for a few years now. Um, there was a lot of rumors that at one time a couple of years ago that Google was actually looking to acquire them, but backed out of the deal. So you know maybe they're just the blog search alone wasn't lucrative enough. So they have to move into a complete media search to in, in order for them to you know be a huge win and hit a home run. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on behind the scenes there. I mean maybe this is a change for the good, but every time I see them, it just seems like they don't really it doesn't really seem like they have a clear direction and they keep you know they keep trying to they keep kind of changing directions and i think maybe that that hurts them a little bit
1: well i think anytime you you lose focus it hurts you because you're no longer you're no longer driving in a straight line you're kind of meandering all over the place and wasting gas
3: neil do you have any uh opinions on it or anything
2: um i, I think you guys pretty much said it all it's I think they're having a hard time right now. I believe he's not David is not the CEO anymore, and they switched out with someone else, or that's what the rumors were a long time. I don't know if it ever happened. But the thing is, it's, they have technology, where's the fire, and different things. They can't remove them now and concentrate on the main blogging now because you can't just start removing features that people are used to. It's going to cause problems. It's like what you said. is I think they have a problem with not necessarily... They have enough money to keep on continuing building technology, but they have a revenue problem. I think they have a revenue problem or a model problem where they can't bring enough money in, whether it's, you know, advertising is great, but from people that we know that have advertised on technology, it doesn't convert well. And even if it's related to blogging and stuff, it's still, most people have not had great conversions. So it's just trying to figure out what they can do to make it a successful business model. So they have the traffic, they have the brand, now it's all that's missing is the revenue part, which is a big portion, so.
3: Yeah, and I think part of the problem with that is because uh, Technorati appeals largely to the geek audience, which we all know is not very good for monetizing if you're running ads and things like that. So it doesn't seem like the mainstream has, you know, found a use for blog search yet, where it's really caught on and become popular. And if they have, a lot of them are probably starting to use Google just because it's already there in the property. You know, when they search for something, they can, you know, click on that link that says blog, whereas most people outside of you know, our little technology bubble or whatever probably really have no idea what Technorati is, and if you know if they heard the name, they probably would still
2: have no idea. Yeah, and the way I see what Technorati is, and this is in the past, so it's too hard, you know, to dread back or look back on the past. But ideally, in an ideal world, it should have been them who invented my blog log, and that should have been part of Technorati. But I think that would have been a perfect way in trying to create a community out of the whole Technorati scene. Right now, I feel that they're trying to create a community out of Technorati.com, which isn't working too well with them. Um, it's not sticky. People don't come back. They don't care. They don't like using where's the fire and I don't use it and I know other people who've tried to use it. They weren't happy with it because it's not like a dig or a delicious that even drives much traffic. So,
1: Well, I think you're right about the, the, the whole problem is the traffic just doesn't convert well because people, people who aren't geeks do use Google for everything. They don't even, most of them don't even realize what, I mean, my mother doesn't even realize Yahoo's still in business. Um, anytime I ask them to search for something, they always say, you mean Google it? So I completely agree with you that the people that are likely to click on the ads, which are like, you know, my little brother goes, oh, hey, I just want a laptop, um, they're going to use Google and they're not going to use Technorati. And when you bring stuff up to them that, you know, hey, you should go check this other this blog search, you get the eyes glazing over and it's just all kinds of bad news. Um, do you think at one point the whole exit strategy there was just to get bought by one of the bigger companies?
3: Um, yes, I do actually. Um, like Neil mentioned, they've had a hard time with uh, with creating any sort of real revenue since they've been around. I mean, that's really been no secret either with Technorati. If you you know if you've been in the loop or whatever, reading all the the two point oh business blogs and things like that. That's definitely no secret, so I think that probably, you know, I mean, one of their main strategies was probably to flip somewhere down the road, you know, I mean, I can't say for sure that when they set out to build this property, that, you know, the whole time they're thinking, well, we're not going to really have any kind of uh, clear profitable business or whatever, let's just get get flipped down the road, but to, from my point of view, yeah, I mean, it seems like that the whole time that they've, you know, been kind of building this as a, you know, as flip meet, so that they, they could flip it down the road instead of, you know, having a good, solid, profitable business.
2: And the problem with that is someone could potentially buy tech because it could be a lucrative buyout for, like, a Yahoo or a Google, especially a Yahoo because I don't even think they have blog search as far as I know. And the thing is it's the whole problem with the flip model is they've raised so much money right now that they're expensive acquisition. You know, yeah, one or two rounds is fine, but when you have three and you're starting to raise, like, over $10 million and you raise a couple rounds or you raise over $20 million, to sell for a good couple hundred million, if not more. So it's expensive buyout for something that's not making much money. Like FeedBurner is a much more attractive buyout because you can shove ads in RSS feeds. Although people still don't click on it, it's a great way to monetize other people's sites, which is the whole Google philosophy, right? A lot of the revenue comes from AdSense. You're monetizing someone else's site compared to um, your own. And the technology approach was monetizing your own site instead of someone else's.
1: Um, at the risk of running a little late to the break here, I, I did want to mention that I, re- I was reading something, and I want to say it was in the Wall Street Journal, but I could be wrong. Apparently, the, well, the analysts are saying that the social media networks may have, if they haven't been bought already, they might have come, kind of missed the boat because the guys with the money are have moved on and are going to ad networks because the amount of money the ad networks can bring in is just so monstrously greater than the amount of money these social media networks are, are bringing in. And the example they were citing was at Facebook when Facebook turned down the opportunity to be acquired. Um, the you know the conventional wisdom now is that they they kind of missed the boat and they're never going to see a price tag like that offered to them again. So if the if the strategy for Technorati was you know to flip it, and they've already gotten to the point where they're going to be an expensive acquisition as it is, is it reasonable to think that you know if the market's kind of soured on on these things that. It's not really a realistic expectation, and they're going to have to they're going to have to do something to improve their their revenue stream.
2: I actually disagree with that. So the way I see it is is sites like Facebook, although they turn down that big amount, and there's other reasons why, because of VCs and all that kind of stuff, and they have a right to turn down an uh, offer. The thing with that is is Facebook makes good revenue or so they claim. People on Facebook click on ads. Granted, these ad networks like Feedburn are great things to buy, but social networks like MySpace and Facebook, I think they're still great buys, and Facebook sooner or later will probably still be bought because it just has so much traffic and that user base is there and people click on ads. While it's, you know, technology, yeah, they could potentially be bought and stuff like that, but they don't have that kind of Feedburner or Facebook traffic, and if they had that type of Facebook traffic, I think they would have been a lot more lucrative. And the great thing about Facebook and MySpace is those users click on ads. And feedrunner people, yeah, it's a great network to, to buy, but I don't know too many people that use RSS to actually click on the ads. And I monitor um, some of the top RSSs, like Guy Kawasaki's, right? And he uses, puts ads in his feed. And I don't want to get into revenue, and he's probably posted on his blog, but he doesn't make too much through his FeedBurner stats, and he has probably like 40,000-plus RSS subscribers. So I think if Facebook's a lot more lucrative.
3: Yeah, I would agree completely with Neil that I think that Facebook is still going to have a very lucrative exit strategy sometime down the road. And to me, from my point of view, it seems like they're turning down these uh, acquisition or buyout offers because they're looking to go, to go public at some point. I mean, it's obvious that Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, has a clear focus that he's looking to build a solid, profitable business. And you know, he'll clear, he, he's clearly come out and said that anything besides him focusing on that right now is a distraction. So he's not looking for the flip or the bio. He's just looking to build a solid business, and I think that they're going to have a very lucrative off, or, or exit strategy sometime down the road, whether it's an IP, IPO or somebody, one of the big properties sometime in the near future just makes them an uh, offer that they can't refuse.
1: Okay, well, that was some fascinating insight that I did not get from the Wall Street Journal article. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break and pay some bills, and I will talk to you guys in a minute.
0: Rush Hour will be speeding right back after these commercial messages. Hang on. Are your ads managing you? Tired of click fraud and little or no ROI on your pay-per-click search ads? Take control. Reduce your costs and gain valuable traffic with effective flat fee featured listings on over 245 search engines and web directories from the isedn.org, the independent search engine and directory network. Now free yourself from click fraud, bidding and hassles with low cost top 10 exposure for less less than $4 a month from isedn. So visit isedn.org today and discover how easy it is maximizing your company's online revenue stream with affordable search Engine and directory flat fiat from the isedn.org. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PRWeb was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PRWeb has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PRWeb is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PRWeb is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web.
1: Gentlemen, start your
2: engines. Okay, well, how
0: do I get
1: my engine started? <laughs>
0: Is your online marketing being left at the starting gate? Don't have enough information to stay ahead of your competitors? Then visit EngineReady.com and get a free trial of our affordable enterprise class web analytics. With EngineReady, you can accurately track revenues from all online marketing campaigns, search engines, banner ads, email, and more. EngineReady strategic marketing software. See why companies of all sizes achieve exceptional online results with EngineReady, the professional standard in search marketing. Oh, maybe I should just get out and push. Just reach your final destination, Rush Hour, Hour. on webmasterradio.fm. Now, now, back to your Rush Hour host, Neil and Cameron.
1: Welcome back. This is the Wednesday, May the 23rd issue of Rush Hour. Um, I'm Carolyn. I'm here with Neil and Cameron. And I was wanting to ask you guys... um, I've been talking to Brent and uh, some other people, and I've noticed um, a, a lot of chatter in the Webmaster Radio chat room about this. It seems like it's taking a lot more digs to get to the front page. Um, from what I've heard, it's taking, you know, in the neighborhood of 70 before you hit the six-hour mark to, to get popular. Um, is this is this a trend that you guys have, have observed? Is this something that's just maybe kind of a one-off that we seem to be hitting somewhat frequently. I was wondering, um, actually, Neil, do you have, any, have you noticed this, or have you heard anyone say anything about this?
2: I've heard a few people saying it. Um, I pretty much ignore it. And yeah, in many cases, it is taking more digs. So what ends up happening is they're looking at many variables, such as the submitter. If the submitter has tons of friends, yeah, it's going to take more digs because it's, they have tons of friends, and the friends are going to vote on a lot of the story. So it's the, I think they're also looking at that ratio. And the other thing is, a lot of the stories that take tons of digs to get to the homepage are political stories. And one of the main reasons for that is because a lot of people bury those stories. Same with the other stories, right? When people start burying stories, you require more and more digs to reach the homepage, probably until you read a certain ratio of non berries to berries or whatever it may be. And the less, you, less berries you have, the easier it is to make to a homepage. And looking right now or a few minutes ago, there was actually one story who made the front page under 40 digs, and it was a text story. The reason for that is that user who submitted didn't have too many friends, and not just that. There's probably very little to no berries on that story. And it's the same old theory. If you have great content with zero berries and you have a user account that doesn't have tons of friends submitting it, should make the homepage in a pretty quick amount of time without tons of berries. So,
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And this actually isn't really anything that new. Um, Dig has experimented in the past with uh, trying to raise the number of digs that it takes to get to the homepage and things like that, and they tried that for a while and then kind of thrown it back to where they were just because I think that they were losing a lot of good content that was otherwise making it to the home story. But yeah, I mean like Neil, I've noticed that a lot of stories that are 40 or 50 digs are making it to the home page. Actually, some of the ones I've submitted in the last week have gone there with, you know, 40 to 50 digs, so it definitely didn't take 70. And there's a lot of variables that are playing into this. Uh, One of them, like like Neil mentioned, is the is the friends, and it seems like the power users with the large amount of friends are the ones that it's really taking a lot of digs for them to get on the home page. And like Neil said, again, that's just you know, I believe that's just because that so many of their friends are the ones voting on on the stories and not just the regular dig users.
1: Well, okay, here's a question. If you're one of the power users or you've got a ton and a half of friends, are you better off finding one of your friends? Who doesn't have a lot of friends associated with their account, and getting them to submit it for you, and then still going through your regular, your regular channels and hitting up your regular, you know, your regular dig posse to get the digs in there?
3: It's um, no, i I don't think that's a I don't think it's a smart idea to get people to submit it that don't have a lot of friends, unless it's a really, really solid piece of content just because there's too much really good stuff that's submitted by people that have no friends that don't make it to the homepage. Whereas I think if a really good piece of content is submitted by a, a power user, even if it's going to take them more digs, I think there's a much, much higher chance that they're going to reach the homepage than if a non-power user submitted it. And I would recommend just staying away from you know your dig rings and things like that altogether. I mean, in their algorithm and... I think, has been updated, and that's why we're seeing a lot of the stories disappear or mysteriously buried. It's just because of those seem like the stories that people are sending around their email or IM groups and things like that. So I would recommend staying away from that altogether. And just, yeah, and if you have a power user or something that could submit your story, I would still stick with that.
2: Yeah, and as Cameron mentioned, it's, it's not best to have someone with zero friends probably submit, this is a really, really good story. It's just try to get it to be as natural as possible. You probably don't want someone with 700 or Nine hundred or thousand plus incoming friends submitting it, you probably want someone who's just a natural user who's you know had a good amount of people friending them, and you want to stay away from the dig rings because what ends up happening is and i 'm going to take a guess on this, but they're probably looking at the ratio of how many digs that story got, and how many of those digs came directly to that u r l and dug how many came from email, how many came from you know uh, a i m and all that kind of stuff and by taking into account a lot of those factors, you can actually say saying all right, this story got 40 digs so far. But 30 of them all say were referred by Gmail, right? And it's like, hmm, in most cases, there's something fishy going around in that story, and they're just going to bury it. So.
3: Yeah, I think they're looking at how quickly those are submitted too, because it seems like a lot of the people that are sending them around through their email or friends list, those are the stories that are getting like 30, 40 digs within an hour or two hours, and that's not really natural unless it's like a like a really interesting breaking news story or you know, something, other that, something else that's just kind of like a big deal that's, you know, a big news item. Other than that, I don't think it's very natural for a story to get digs that quickly.
1: Okay, so I'm just thinking here. Not that I was suggesting, you know, having a, a brand new account or anything with, with zero friends submit things, but let's say you've got friends that don't submit on a regular basis, but they've got, you know, 20 friends. Not that that would, you know, be roughly how many I have or anything, but I'm just curious would that be better than having someone with, you know, 12 million friends do it?
2: I'm going to probably take a long shot and say yes on that. Um, I myself have tons of people who have friended me, so I haven't friended tons of people, but there's probably well over 1,000 people who have friended me. So whatever I submit takes forever to make the homepage just because more than half the people who vote on it are friends. So it just causes tons and tons of, Votes before I make the home page, which is why I'm at the or which is why I stay at the top of the upcoming section for a long time. I can still make the front page just probably in the same time as anybody without um, tons of friends or without someone without any friends, right? Because you're getting more attention by staying at the top of that upcoming section, and it all usually equates at the same time. So if it took me six hours with seventy votes, it may take a uh, normal user with no friends six hours with thirty votes. So it's all the same thing at the end of the day, and. It's pretty much all about the content. If the content's great, you can end up getting there either way and it's just trying to the whole key to getting on dig is writing great content that the community loves. And if you can do that, you will succeed.
3: I disagree (laughs) slightly with what Neil said. I still think it's better to have some kind of a power user, whether it's like a super power user, someone with a couple thousand friends or even a couple hundred friends, I still think it's better for them to submit. Just because it seems like the story the sooner the story makes it to the most popular of the upcoming page the more likely it is to get a lot of votes from other users whereas people that really don't have a lot of friends even if they're submitting really good content like if you go, there, go, go through there and look at like, all the new stuff that's being submitted there's so many thousands of stories that are be- being submitted each day and so many of them are really good content but they're just getting buried into oblivion not necessarily like people burying their stories but they just get you know, lost in the sea of all the thousands of other digs and they don't really stick out Whereas the ones that stick out are the ones that, you know, get like the 20 or the 30 digs and they they reach that upcoming page, like the most popular section of that. I think that's, like the sooner you can get to that upcoming popular section or the popular section of the upcoming pages, I think the more likely you are to make it to the home page because that's where it seems like, even for the people that aren't your friends, that's where it seems like the most of the digs come through.
2: And I, and I do agree with what Cameron's saying, but it's kind of two-sided as well. So the thing is, if you have somewhat amount of friends or a lot of friends, you are going to make the upcoming section, which does give you more visibility and your chance of getting the homepage are a lot greater. The only flip side to the early problem with that is the higher you're also up, um, because you have tons of friends, it requires more votes. In the upcoming section, also the higher the chances that someone's going to vary the story. So you have to make sure at the end of the day that the content's great. And I know Cameron is also saying the content's being great. He's just saying that it's nice to have couple friends are a good amount because with thousands of stories every day, most of the people, average Joes who are submitting great stories, a lot of them are getting lost in that sea. So.
1: You now, you also brought up another, another point that I wanted to mention. I had had a discussion with uh, someone on the chat room uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. When you say write good content that, you know, gets, that, that appeals to the, the DIG audience, I was discussing um, not necessarily tweaking the content but just modifying the headline Based on you know which which service you were going to be submitting it to, and in this case it was for dig, the headline he used was the headline that was attached to the article, and it was about um, uh, something it was something about how bosses tend to be aggressive, and the majority of of aggressive bosses tend to be women or something like that. It was really kind of a dry headline, and my suggestion was to rewrite the headline as um, study shows women bosses are bitches or something like that um, but it was really you know. It definitely wasn't terribly complimentary to women, but it was something that I thought would get the attention of the right people and it would get dug just based on the headline, because I don't think they tend to read the entire article. I think sometimes they do vote just on the headline. And is it fair to say that even with content that isn't specifically written for DIG and may or may not be you know, as salacious or uh, exciting as one might necessarily or usually associate with, being popular with diggers, that if you write a good headline, the headline can overcome some of the, sh- the shortcomings of the actual body content of the article. Or did I, was that like a convoluted question that no one followed?
3: No, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I do think that a lot of people, like you said, do dig stories just based off the title and, just, and the, the uh, description alone. I'm actually guilty of that myself oftentimes, just because I think that sometimes just by reading the the description and the headline, you can actually kind of get like the whole gist of the story. So there's not really any point in clicking through to read the rest of the story. So a lot of times if I see something that's really interesting and I can kind of grab the, the whole gist of it, I will just dig it without visiting it. But I think at the same time, a lot of people aren't that way. They will click through and read it. And if it's, you know, if it's not exactly matching the title and description, the story is not quite as interesting as that, they won't come back and dig it. So I think it I think it goes a little bit both ways. You know, I you know, I still just think that the you know, the best way to get to the home page is just to have the absolute best content whether your descriptions and titles are good or not. I still think the best content is the one that makes it. Now, with that being said, writing a good title and a description definitely does help. And a lot of times actually when I'm submitting stories, I will actually use the headlines that are right from the news articles just because you know these editors; they're they're doing it for the same. You know they're writing their titles and descriptions for the same reason. They want people to click through and read the stories too. And these are professionals, and a lot of times they do write really sensation, really good sensational titles and descriptions. But you know sometimes they're they're not as good as they could be, so they do take a little bit of, of tweaking and things like that just to get them right.
1: Well, I think it depends on where you're getting the story from, because newspaper um, titles tend to be writing for, for print newspaper and then taking the, the print newspaper article and putting it online, they don't always fix the titles to translate to online. It, for online, you have to, there is a technique for writing online headlines that is different from writing print headlines, and I know that's something that, um, that that's actually something they make a point of teaching now in, in journalism um, so, so the
2: thing with the headlines is, if you look at many of the people that make DIG and all those social sites, such as the big CNN, you know, uh, Wired, and all those sites, Some say it's because those sites are very popular and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that is one great reason why they make it. I also think it's because of the headlines and whether they're offline or online, journalists know how to write great headlines. And I think that makes a really big difference. And if you look at those sites, yeah, most of the stories that actually do make the homepage of dig are pretty good headlines and, you know, whether the content's great, yeah. They probably do write great content, but it's also they know how to write baity headlines.
1: Okay, so... I mean, ultimately, what it boils down to is don't try to game the system and write really good content. Pretty yeah, much, have
3: good content and then make sure that the titles and descriptions are solid as well. Whether they're the exact same ones of the news story that you're submitting or slightly tailored, I think both of those do play play a role. Like I said, there is still a lot of people that will dig alone on the title or dig stories alone just based on the title and description.
1: Okay. Well, is there is there anything else? that you guys can add to that because it seems like that this last segment really has, I've gotten a lot out of it. So if you have anything else that we can pass along to the people who are maybe just starting out or maybe a little bit past just starting out but still not as into using DIG as you guys are, <laughs> if you have any words of wisdom, this would be a good time to share them.
3: A couple quick tips that uh, I'll add before uh, letting Neil give his two cents because I know he's, you know, the DIG guru and has got more tips than I do, but... You know, like he mentioned, one is to is to use stories from big domains that are already branded and that people trust. CNN, Yahoo, Wired, TechCrunch, things like that. They have a lot better chance of hitting the front page for news stories than Joe Blow's blog. And the other thing that I would suggest is that it seems like a lot of people are, you know, over optimizing their stories for Dig. And by that I mean that it seems like it's really getting diluted with like a lot of top 10 lists and things that are obviously written for Dig only. And I think that just because there's so much of that that's been flooding the site over the last few months that people are kind of getting immune and turned off by it. So I think it's, you know, you got to be careful that you're not writing stories that are just like so obviously blatantly to get on the DIG homepage. I actually think that too much of that can come back to hurt you.
1: Mm, that makes sense.
2: Kevin yep. pretty much did it all, and he is a DIG expert probably as much as me, maybe even more. <laughs> and um, so... My two cents is it's, you know, everything he said, but if you really want to get on the homepage, yeah, it's about content and trying to build a reputation, you know, getting into the community and doing your own submissions and stuff like that. And if you really want to build that power account, because I know a lot of people do without friending people or doing any of that kind of mumbo-jumbo. And here's how I did it, plain and simple, is all I did was you look at the competing social sites. For Dig, you look at Netscape. And Reddit, and what you do is there's sites that are upcoming in those sections, that are stories that are doing really well that have not been submitted to Dig. Take them, submit them to Dig. By doing that, you're going to provide more content to Dig, and those stories are probably going to do really well if they're getting a lot of votes in, let's say, Netscape at a really quick pace. It's pretty much as simple as that. You do that, your account's going to grow and it's going to be powerful. People are going to friend you without having to friend them, and you know whatever you submit is going to have a much better chance of making it to the front page.
3: Yeah, that goes kind of vice versa, too. You can take stories that are popular on the upcoming dig section and submit those to the other social networks as well, and that's a good way to build strong accounts on those sites as well. That's one of the ways that I was able to build a strong StumbleUpon account Is I would just find uh, really cool things that were gaining a lot of traction and dig really quickly but hadn't made the home page, and I would be the one to submit those to StumbleUpon. And then not only is that traditionally or not only is that content that's gonna be appealing to them like automatically just because it's appealing to the dig audience, but once that story hits the home page of Dig, hundreds of people that dig that are gonna thumb up are gonna give it a thumbs up and stumble as well. So that's gonna help you submit a lot of stories and become a, a power user there as well.
2: And I know most of this seems like common sense, but as Kevin says like get out there and do that. And he was very effective with Stumble Upon and I was very effective with Dig and other social sites. And Get out there and actually start doing it because if you do do it, you will be a power user. And if you look at Cameron's case, he was actually listed on the top stumblers list and I was on the top Dig list and all that kind of stuff. So get out there and actually do it and not just be like, oh, this is cool. You're going to actually have to put an effort and time into this. And it doesn't take too much time, so it's worth doing. And it's probably the easiest way to build up a really strong account.
1: I think those are fantastic tips. I know that the chat room, um, people are saying are thanking you guys for the tips and commenting. So that was a great segment. Um, We're going to go ahead and take a break and pay some bills, and I will talk to you guys in a couple minutes, okay? Cool.
0: Rush Hour will be speeding right back after these commercial messages. Hang on. Ta-da. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at friendfinder.com. into a
2: fortune. Six million. dollars. $2. $2 million, Four billion dollars. Six million dollars. Then just kicking ass with the main name. Monty, 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 Monty. Monty. Monty, 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 Monty. Monty. Mon, 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 mon. Monty. 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 Monty.
3: Monty. And uh, what, what, uh, what's been your highest domain name sale? How much money was it for? It was approximately $144,000. About one hundred and fifty grand. That's correct. Okay, great. You have had eBay dot and shopping.com for a combined $1.4 billion. Monty,
0: Monty, Monty, Monty. Monty, 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 Monty. Monty. Be, be, be the master of your domain. My,
2: literally probably 90 days after buying it uh, for $80,000, Interbrew bought it for $7 million. We appraised the property and helped get it sold for $3.4 It was the most valuable asset that they had, $6 million or $10 million on a domain name. When we sold autos.com
0: for $2.2 2 million, people thought it was nuts too.
2: <laughs> domain Masters,
0: only on Webmaster Radio. Be the master of your domain. and dish all week long on webmasterradio.fm your destination for education and entertainment webmasterradio.fm we're everywhere slam on your brakes you've just reached your final destination
3: Rush hour. Rush hour.
0: on webmasterradio.fm now. now back to your Rush Hour host, Neil and Cameron
1: Hey, welcome back to Rush Hour. Today is Wednesday, May 23rd, in case you're listening live or you're, you're listening later on a podcast, I guess. Um, if you'd like to join us in the chat room, you can go to webmasterradio.fm and download the desktop app and come on in, because we're in there talking right now, but obviously if you're listening to a podcast, then we may or may not be there and we make no promises. You can also follow us on Twitter. Um, look for Seashell, that's me, C-S-H-E-L, and sometimes I Twitter what we're doing, um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Oh, now I remember. Um, I read this week, or I was told via IM, I forget which it was, that MySpace has made some changes, and they fixed their um, the CAPTCHA bypasses, and it's apparently stopped a lot of the, the spam, the bots and the programs that have been going around and spamming it. So I was wondering if either of you had heard about it, and if you think this is going to... Be just a temporary thing, or if people are going to get around it, um, you know. Just want to hear your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah, I've definitely. I definitely heard that news as well. And you know, I think it's just a, It was just a matter of time before that they were able to effectively stop the spammers and the bots from getting around the CAPTCHAs. Now, whether or not they will this will continue to stop them, or they'll be able to find more ways around it, is to be seen. But I think it's just a matter of time, you know, before they're able to completely thwart that from people spamming by adding friends really quickly quickly and stuff like that. I mean, there's really no benefit for them not to do that kind of thing. So, it, you know, it's just, it, ma- it makes complete sense. Of course, they want people to stop spamming and stuff like that. And, you know, who knows how long this will be effective for, but I think it is going to be effective for at least a little time until the really smart guys are able to figure ways around it.
2: And people will probably end up getting around it and still breaking it, so I haven't read the news, but from my understanding, the bot works for the first 50 friends, and then after that, you usually have to type in a caption and stuff like that to keep on going and finding more people. But it's they'll try to figure ways around it, because so many people are making thousands and thousands of dollars a day just off of MySpace traffic, because they're doing shady stuff and leveraging it. So yeah, it's in MySpace's best benefit to provide and you know, stop all this kind of stuff, but On the other hand, I still think that people are going to get around it, and it's probably just a sooner matter of time.
1: How exactly are people making tons and tons of money off of MySpace? Because I swear, I I must be dense, and please don't answer that that was rhetorical. Um, I look at it, and I just don't, you're not supposed to have businesses on it, I thought. And, you know, I'm... I would assume that if you're not supposed to have businesses, it's kind of a verboten to put affiliate links all over the place. What are people doing to make money on MySpace? Because I'm confused and I would like to know.
2: So I don't want to get into it too much, but um, just a quick and dry version of one way people make money is they just put comments everywhere. And what they do is they just say like, put a big image or something and say, hey, click here, free ringtones. And then by doing that, people click on their ringtones ads and then they convert and they end up making money. So it's not necessarily that they're having a business profile. Instead, they're just mass commenting places and you know putting up big images and stuff and hoping people click on them so that they can make money. And there's many more ways you can make money off of MySpace and even shadier ways, but that's just one way. I know a lot of people that are doing it. So
3: Yeah, the other way is that people will build up profiles with, a huge number of friends, like 50,000, 100,000 plus friends and that's the reason for the bots, but what they'll do is they will build up these huge profiles with all the friends and then they'll start spending, sending them the uh, like the private messages or the whatever they call them, uh, the messages right. or whatever, they'll send those out and so they're able to send those out to their whole their whole user base or all the people that they're friends with on the site and they'll just send them like links to affiliate offers or dating offers or porn or whatever it may be and just, you know, it's like they send out a hundred thousand of those or a couple hundred thousand, X number of people are going to click through and convert. So that's, you know, that's where they make the money as well.
1: Are those things where you send it to all your friends, are those the bulletins?
3: Yeah, the bulletins, sorry. I was looking for the correct word, and yep, you nailed it. That's exactly what they're called.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah, and it is working. So we have analytics, or a long time ago someone tried to do some, ringtone stuff with us and we didn't end up doing it no one that anybody knows us in the industry he's totally out of the industry or anything like that and with his site the majority of his conversions come from myspace bulletins so it is working and for someone who's making a couple grand a day off of ringtones it's not bad money it's a good chunk of change and you can actually live off of it so
1: yeah well i mean and the reason i was asking is because this past week um my my daughter's uh, friend, who's been at a boarding school in the Philippines, came back and she's back for a couple months now. So she's been over at our house all the time, and I swear to God, there's been a gaggle of little girls sitting huddled around the computer for like six hours a night, doing nothing but MySpace, and they click on all the stupid ads. And they're just they're the biggest tools when it comes to to advertising. i just watching them like somebody's making a lot of money off of this, and I I want to know how because I want it to be me.
3: Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the same thing as you have because like. You and I, I mean, we think, like, how can these people possibly click on all these ads and stuff, what are they're like, at Goldblur they don't realize it. But actually, a few months ago, I witnessed my wife doing the exact same thing. She came to me, and she was like, how do I add a custom uh, custom design on my MySpace page? And I was just like, so I'm like, okay, go to Google and just type in MySpace layouts, and you'll come up with a whole bunch of sites that will have all these free layouts and stuff like that. And so the next thing I do, I look over 15 minutes later, and she's downloading software onto the computer. Downloads it and ends up with like 15 or 20 different softwares on the computer, like all those type of spywares and things like that. And I was just shaking my head, it's like, oh no, what have you done? Type of thing. But it just goes to show those people that aren't tech savvy, they, you know, they don't really know what they're clicking on, or you know, I mean, they they don't understand it like we do, and they, you know, they don't realize all the spam and the junk and the crap and the things that are on the web. So they're, you know, kind of oblivious to it, and just will kind of click where, wherever it's enticing to them.
1: Well, I, I know, and I, I've actually, like, run screaming towards the computer from the other room going, oh, my God, don't click on that, because, you know, I'll hear them get all excited. Hey, we're the millionth customer. We just won something. <laughs> well, they'll, you know, they'll talk about the free iPod they just won. I'm like, you morons, you didn't just win a free iPod. Don't click on that. But they do, and that's where, that's where people are making the money.
2: Nice. Um, the other cool thing is if you really want to figure out how to monetize these social sites is, Yet Think about Bebo and um, I believe it's HI5 or Hi5 or whatever. Those two sites they actually allow subdomains. So on MySpace, your account would be like mine is MySpace.com slash Pronet Advertising. And the thing with that is not a subdomain. But with the Bebo thing is if you do Bebo or HI5, you can set up something like um, you know, your name.bebo.com. And what ends up happening is you can get links, very few links and get ranked for, let's say, the keyword like Bebo or HI5. And those keywords are the highly searched terms, such as Bebo is probably the most searched B term, according to Google suggests. And the thing is, it's like if you get ranking for those terms, you can some way try to figure out how to monetize that traffic because those domains are already very powerful, and people are doing shady stuff because the overall domain has a ton of natural links, and it's really hard to catch one subdomain that bought, let's say 50 links, and you really don't need too many links to get you know, strong rankings with those subdomains. Yeah, and you can really do that with, with uh, any social network
3: or any site that offers a subdomain. Like, you know, that's been actually pretty popular with like the Blogspot and WordPress domains for quite a while, you know, spammers or, you know, blackout SEOs or whatever you want to call them. We'll set those up and then just throw a little bit of link, campaign, link building campaigns at those and those pages will start ranking high and that's just because they're, you know, they're using the authority from the whole domain. And stuff like that. So it's really easy to get those ranked and make money that way as well.
1: well that's incredibly good to know. Um, I know, uh, I don't remember if it, was last, it wasn't last week, it was the week before. We talked a little bit about, and I don't mean to completely change the subject, but this is like something near and dear to my heart at the moment. Um, we were talking about recommendations for software to, for people who wanted to start their own social sites. Um, so I have a site that I run, and I have some user contributed content, right? If people are starting their own site, how much are you liable for what people contribute to your site? Because I got a ton of email from a restaurant owner who wanted to talk to me personally as though talking to me on the phone was going to change my answer about things about a, um, a user-submitted review. And it started to get a little heated and a little nasty. And my the way I'm looking at it is I'm not... I didn't say anything. I'm not the one who said it. What they said isn't you know, illegal, it, was, it wasn't insinuating any criminal activity, so I, I thought it was all fair game. But is there, is there any best practices or um, precedent for where, where you need to, as a site owner, if you're trying to run a, a social site, where you have to step in and start policing things?
2: It's, with that, I think a lot of it has to do with... Uh I don't know if it's necessarily policing. I think it's more of the terms of services and policies. So it's just saying, hey, whatever you, the user, submit, you're liable for it and not you. So then that way, hopefully, some way, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I wouldn't know this as much. But it's just trying to pass over the you know, the problems or the potential things that you can be getting sued for over to the user. And then, obviously, if someone's writing bad, negative things with no proof or whatnot, you just want to delete them like if they're saying the F word and stuff like that. Well, on the other hand, if they're just giving a tasteful review, you just keep it up. So it's, I think there's really fine line of you know, where you're supposed to necessarily delete the content or keep it or what can you get in trouble for, and it's just trying to figure out that. And I think the best thing to do is to consult with the lawyer and try to have them set you up with terms of services and stuff like that, so that way you're protected.
1: Well, I did that, and I, and I understand that, the, that in my situation, the guy who was yelling at me really didn't have a legal leg to stand on, because if he did, he would have sued me. And that's been my experience all along, is that if someone's actually got a case, they they don't bother with having discussion first. They just slap you with a lawsuit. Um, And and
2: it's not even that. If you actually think about it and if you're worried about that, do whatever you want. If someone wants to sue you, they're going to first send you a cease and desist order. It's too expensive for people to sue, especially big companies. It's not something like, oh, suing someone only costs $1,000. No, if you want to do it right and you want to take it and it's not small claims, it can cost thousands and thousands of dollars. So first they send you a cease and desist and then if you want to apply, you know, you take it down. Everything's cool. If you want to mess around, don't take it down and then you could potentially get sued. So I would just you can always do it if you think you're fine, and then if you get a cease and desist order, go from there and take stuff out. Yeah, and but it sounds like a user submitting a review, I mean, the guy probably has no
3: legal leg whatsoever to stand on to, you know, to get you to take that down or whatever. I mean, people are allowed to post their opinions and things like that as long as he's not like, putting out like false information and deliberately slandering them. I don't think the guy would you know, have a shot in hell in getting anything from you. And, you know, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why he didn't go through a lawyer in the first place. He probably just figured he could call you up and kind of, you know, be nasty to you or send you a nasty gram and he'd get you to comply. But, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: he sent me a bunch of email and I kept reiterating my policy on, on, the, on the services or on what I, what I take down and what I leave up. And he kept saying, I really want to talk to you in person. I really want to talk to you in person. And I'm like, uh, no, it's not going to change my answer and you can yell at me all you want. I'm not going to capitulate, so sorry.
2: And the lazy man's way for that is someone p- keeps on sending you nasty stuff, ignore them. If you want to do anything, let them send you the cease and desist because they're not going to sue for a is You send a cease and desist, and then if they don't respond, then you sue. So let them send you that. Then you can respond and follow up or take it down or whatever. So it's, if you don't have the time, don't even respond to people when they keep on complaining because you're just going to get tons and tons of complaints if you grow your side and you get tons of nasty reviews.
1: Well, and the nasty reviews get a lot of reads, so I've got to have some of them <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, well, it's his fault for running a shitty business or whatever, you know, if he was running a good business, serving good food or whatever it was. He wouldn't have people talking bad about him. I mean, just tell, you know, and this is the day and age where, you know, companies have to be, have complete transparency and transparency and be completely honest with customers and have good products. Otherwise, it's going to come back and bite them on the ass just because, you know, with social media and everything, everybody has a voice now. So if you do your customers wrong,
1: you know, goodbye.
3: It, you know, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass and it's
2: going to do you a, a world of hurt.
1: That's right. Social media is power to the people, right? Exactly. It
2: is. And think of it this way, seashell, right? With food, it's, hey, newspapers write reviews all the time, and sometimes they write bad reviews saying a restaurant sucks. The owner can't go out there and sue them from my understanding. So it's like, think of it the same way. Someone can't just go out to you, and, you know, for writing, someone writing a shitty review on your site. So
1: yeah.
2: that's, You're even in a better position because it it's harder for them to sue you compared to see the person who wrote the review.
1: Well yeah, and I don't even know who wrote the review.
2: Oh, so I so don't have their info.
1: I don't make people register. Okay. Because uh, I don't want to be responsible for having to track them down once somebody wants to sue them. But um yeah, we're gonna have to wrap it up smart. because I know we're, we're up against another show. So um I think I think the show went well. I was a little concerned about the number of topics I had written down, but I think we filled everything up. So I'll talk to you guys next week, okay?
3: Okay, Take thanks, care. Michelle.